You can open your scriptures to 1 Peter, which is the book that we're now beginning to work our way through. I'm going to pick up the reading today in verse 3 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Uh, I'm going to read actually on through verse 7, although we'll just be focusing our study today on what we haven't already looked at in verses 3 to 5, but I want to set some context for it by reading out another two verses beyond that. So 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the genuineness, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, as we've acknowledged earlier in the service, we all come to you so thankful you're a God who has spoken and that you've made your word accessible to us. In this time that we have together, we pray for your Holy Spirit to make it clear to us the implications of what you've said, that we would recognize what it is within our beliefs, within our attitudes, within our actions that are out of line with the things that you've said. In this time, give us alertness, I pray. We'll give you praise, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In these verses, these opening verses, really, of, uh, of 1 Peter, in this first chapter, verses 3 to 5, uh, Paul, or Peter, under direction of the Holy Spirit, powered by the Holy Spirit, is identifying for gifts of God's mercy that are there for the chosen. We spent quite a bit of time, actually two weeks in verses 1 and 2, and uh, talking about the wonder of what was involved in that uh, particular salutation to the church. But now in verses 3 to 5, we're talking about some of God's mercy, what's, what he calls here his great mercy. Uh, the word mercy translates uh, elios in the Greek, which means tender kindnesses. So you could say, in, in the multitude of God's tender kindnesses to us, he has given us these four things. Now, these aren't the only things he's given us, but they're adding on to the stuff we've already looked at, and he will be telling us more as we get further into the book as well. And he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. These blessings that we get, these benefits, are intended in us as we come to grasp them to lead us to praise God. Praise God in our songs. Praise God in our words. In fact, I believe very strongly that the things that God is saying to us here, but throughout the scriptures, are intended by God to be the focus of our music. Uh, God gives us many wonderful truths in the scripture. 
And these truths are meant to be a fostering of blessing to the Lord. Now, some people come back and say, oh, yeah, but, but what's really important is worship. You're just focusing on God. Well, the truth of the matter is you don't know anything about that God except what he's revealed in the scriptures about himself. So as you see what he's revealed in the scriptures and you acknowledge it and you praise God for it, you will actually truly be praising the God who is really there. So worship is not just using God's name. Worship is filling out the details of who that God is and what he's done, all of which are reasons to praise him. We're spiritually impoverished if we don't know the many benefits, the blessings that God has for us. And by the way, I believe we're spiritually impoverished if our songs don't highlight those things. And sadly, there can be many places where, while words like, great God or praise God become part of the music. They don't want to tell you what it is that he's great about and the things that he's done, which are meant to foster it. Last time we looked at the first two of those benefits in these verses 3 to 5. The first of those being God's great mercy, God's numerous tender kindnesses has led him to give us new birth. The, the book of First Peter began by reminding us that as God's chosen people, in Christ, we've been forgiven and accepted by God, we who were alienated from God. Yet, God went even further. In this new covenant period, God decided not only to forgive us, to accept us in Christ, but to give us new life as well. A miracle for those who repent and believe in the gospel. Second Corinthians says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. God does a miracle in that sense. Here's the point. God said, not only am I going to forgive you if you turn to Christ, repent and believe, not only am I going to have us reconciled, not only am I going to give you promises about the future, I am going to change you at the core of your being. I am going to make something different at the center of who you are now. I'm giving you new life. The very core of us has changed. Oh, yeah. We're fighting a battle while we're in this world against another law that's at work in the members of our body, kind of battling against what God has done at the deepest level of us. Uh, and when we're with him, thankfully, that battle will be done. But he hasn't changed the fact that he has changed us at the deepest level. That's the great wonder. One of the things that is so astounding is to understand that those who placed their faith in God in the Old Testament were not given new birth. They did not receive new creation at the deepest level of what they were. That's a uniquely wonderful outcome of the new covenant and what was accomplished at the cross. Not only forgiveness, not, not only acceptance with God, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, but changed at the deepest level. That's why Jesus said, you must be born again. <laughs> the Nicodemus, the great Jewish teacher, the new birth is the new privilege of the new covenant. I don't think we say that often enough, and I don't think we'd gain more appreciation for it if we understood the wonder of it all. So he says, let your songs always, always incorporate something that talks about the wonder and praise of a new birth, that God's plan is to change us and to change us from what we once were into something different. The second thing we looked at last week, just by way of quick review, the second of the benefits of God's great mercy was to be giving a living hope. A new birth, a living hope. 
And we looked at Ephesians chapter 2, as you remember, in the opening part of that, verses 1 to 3, and then later in verse 12, in the description of humanity in general and how we were by nature objects of wrath. Uh, we were rebels against God. We joined with everybody else's rebellion against God. We were, as a result, without God, and then he says, without hope in the world. The natural man is without hope. doesn't matter how many new leaves they try to turn over. It doesn't matter that they may be following a little higher moral, ethical standpoint than somebody else is following. They're all without hope. They are left without God and without hope. Our sin has separated us from God and left us with no solution to it. But God says, I'm not leaving you there. I'm giving you a living hope. Resting in the cross and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have hope in a hopeless world. The world around us tries to find hope through some, you know, talking themselves into feeling hope or, or believing that some sort of societal change will give them hope. All dead ends, brothers and sisters, they are still left without hope. Only the believer in God's tender mercy has a reason for hope. No wonder so many people are discouraged and messed up. They're hopeless. It doesn't mean they're acting hopelessly. It just means they're hopeless at the deepest level. So were you once, and so was I. But God did this miracle in his wonderful, tender mercy to change us. So, bottom line, make sure that the songs we sing, at least some of them, are expressing wonder and praise for a new birth. And wonder and praise for a living hope. We of all people, when we, talk, when we have a song where the lyric is focused on hope, ought to be able to sing that out loud. doesn't matter whether you're on key or not. Most of the time I'm missing the chords. So the, the issue is, can you sing it out? Can you build it out? Can you say, oh, Lord, I, was, I once couldn't sing this line. I couldn't say that. Now I can. What amazing wonder that is. Well, let's continue to look at the other things talked about in verses 3 to 5. The third benefit of the tender mercy of God, his great mercy, is that he has given us an inheritance, verse 4, into an inheritance that never perishes, spoils, or fades, or in the ESV, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Uh, he has given us this inheritance. We have received it. The word inheritance here literally means endowment, estate. In today's terminology, that's what's being talked about. You know, what's your estate? God's given you an estate. He's given you an endowment, uh, something that wasn't previously yours, but now is yours because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We have an inheritance that lasts forever. We have an inheritance that's promised to those who know Jesus Christ, who have obeyed the gospel in that regard. He gives us three terms here that are <laughs> wonderful terms related to that. In the ESV, as I said, he says it's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. First one, it can't perish. You know, as you read through the Old Testament, even as the Israelites got through the Exodus journey, finally got their way into the promised land, 
the Philistines continued to give them trouble, and so did others. You know, they'd, they'd capture their cities, they'd come and oppress the people. Later on, they were finally taken off to Babylon in, in, uh, in exile. They had, they had a lot of perish in terms of their inheritance. Things went away. God says, hey, under the new covenant, nothing's perishable that's part of your inheritance. You say, well, maybe I don't know that I've been living and following the Lord in a way that really makes me deserve it. Well, you didn't deserve it before you turned to Christ. <laughs> the, the fact is, what you have in him is imperishable. It can't go away. And that would be enough in itself, wouldn't it? But he, God doesn't do that. He knows us too well. He says, I, I could say this to him, and that would summarize just this one word, should summarize it for him. But I know they're but grass, and, and they're but flesh, they're but dust. I better tell them another term that layers on this one. It, it will never spoil. It will never, as he puts it, be, it will, it will be undefiled. The NIV translates it by the word spoil. What, what that means, literally, is this. What does spoil do? Think about fruit. Or, you know, at a certain point, it's spoiled. You know, where it may have been good at one point, now you really can't use it for anything because it's, it's, uh, it's kind of rotting away. God says to you, if you have responded to the gospel, if you're resting in the Lord Jesus Christ, not yourself, but in him, he says, this inheritance that you have will never be like fruit and spoil. It's, ne- it's never going to go bad. It's never going to defile as time goes on. We live in a world filled with sin, filled with fallenness, and at times we even do our part to make it even worse. But the truth of the matter is, God says, well, that can spoil everything around you. Here's something that can't spoil. Here's something that won't rot away. My promises about the gospel and the wonderful inheritance that will be yours in the gospel. And I say to you, even that would be enough, isn't it, from God? I mean, it's like, well, yeah, I'm kind of getting the point, Lord. And God says, no, you're not. I'm going to give you a third word here. Uh, It's unfading. Unfading. Literally, in the Greek, it means there's no lessening of it over time. Uh, You know, think about... Clothing, you know, we, buy, we get some clothing. Over time, the more often you wash it, it starts to fade. The colors kind of fade out. Uh, and in this world, almost everything fades over time. Uh, what looked nice and new when you first got it doesn't look nice and new as time goes on. We live in a fading world. And God says, listen, this inheritance I've given to you never fades. There's no lessening of the joy There's no lessening of the value that is yours in Jesus Christ as time goes on. You know, I bought a new car back in 2019, still driving it, trying to keep going. Got a whole lot more miles on it now, some dents and other things. You know, that's what happens, even when it looked very pristine when I got it. Nothing has dented, nothing's faded that I had in Jesus Christ when I turned to him at 18 years old. It's, it's not different. 
I'm growing to understand it more, praise God. But that doesn't because it's different. It's only because I was stupid. I didn't know enough of what God had to say. But it's unfaded. Does that underscore for us the wonderful inheritance that God has given us? Perishing, spoiling, and fading happens to everything in this world. People possessions, even the landscape, all right? It all, over time, perishes, spoils, and fades. The only thing that never does is eternal stuff. The stuff we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, it makes sense, then, that I ought to focus maybe on the things that don't fade. <laughs> you know, those are the things. It, it, I think about how Matthew 19 puts it in, as Jesus was speaking in what's often called the Sermon on the Mount. I don't think that's a great name for it. But nonetheless, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. Listen to this. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The wonder that's been given to us in Christ, our inheritance. And he says, keep your focus on that. I mean, work. don't work like you have to earn it that's found in Jesus Christ, but live in such a way that you appropriate and draw upon it and are doing it for the sake of that. Uh, where your treasure is, there your heart is. And you say, well, I don't really, I've got, I'm focusing on some of these other treasures, but I'm working hard to sort of make the Lord central in my life. It won't happen. The Lord can never be central in someone's life unless what we have in him is central to our love and central to our motivations. Can't have it both ways, you know. Our, our heart doesn't behave because our mind says, well, you ought to really be focused on the Lord. When in practice you're not. It's like, hey, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. He says, we have a lasting inheritance here. Notice the last part of that phrase. It's kept in heaven for you. I'm thankful God keeps it in heaven for me. The word kept here is the Greek word terio, which means literally to have a guard over. Think of in a military sense. You've got guards kind of surrounding the camp so you don't get surprise attacks and you can sort of feel somewhat able to sleep while somebody else is on guard for you. It says God is watching over us like a guard to real. Uh, he's watching over our inheritance. Praise God, it's not financial advisors watching over my inheritance. That which lasts forever. I'm not putting any financial advisors down, and I give people financial advice at times. But they better not be resting their eternal stuff in my advice. They better be resting in what God had to say. And, and listen, it is God who he says is watching over our inheritance. He can be relied upon to keep our inheritance safe. My inheritance in the Lord Jesus Christ is not at the mercy of the economy. My inheritance in the Lord Jesus Christ is not at the mercy of government policies of which there are many stupid ones. All right? It's not at the mercy of any of that stuff. God's watching over it. You know, 
And you know something else? He's watching over it in heaven, he says. He's keeping it there. And I think part of the reason he does that is to make sure none of us misuse or squander it. You know, think of the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. Took his inheritance, squandered it all. God says, I'm not giving you that chance. All of the inheritance that is yours, I'm watching over. I'm keeping it in heaven. That's where it's all for you. You can't mess it up. And aren't you glad of that? I'm now 73, pressing on towards 74. There have been a number of times where I've messed up uh, how well I handled the finances in my life or things that I thought, hey, this is really going to work, uh, didn't work. I'm not asking for a show of hands of anybody else that had that experience. But nonetheless, God says, Gary, you mean well, but I don't trust you. <laughs> and you ought not to trust yourself. Just rest in me. Trust in me. So praise God for his great mercy expressed by a, an inheritance that can't fade away once we repent and obey the gospel. Everything else in this world, without exception, will perish, be defiled, and fade away. Everything. But God said, there's something that won't. That's your inheritance in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, let our songs have some lyrics about that. I mean, that's a good thing to think about. Uh, it's not like somehow unspiritual because we're talking about this which God is keeping in heaven for us, this great inheritance. Let some of the songs pick up on that theme. And by the way, if your songs are sort of biblical songs, they inevitably will. Because when you sing biblical songs, I don't mean just verses of Scripture, although that's great too, as you saw today, we have something like that. But biblical concepts built into the music you inevitably will incorporate all that stuff in your music because God incorporates it in his word. He says, finally, the fourth great benefit. The fourth great benefit is he says, who, verse four, who by God's power are being guarded through faith? Guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. God's great mercy gives me protection, and it gives you protection. We're not talking about the inheritance that's up in heaven so we can't mess it up. He's talking about here and now, in the midst of the world in which you and I find ourselves. God says, because I'm filled with tender mercy toward you, I've determined as my child under the new coveted era, I'm going to guard you through faith, guarded by God's power. It's a similar kind of term to what we were looking at under the lasting inheritance that God has kept for us. It's a, it's a, it can be used in the sense of setting up guards over. It's the very same word you encounter in Philippians 4.7 where it says the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds when it's talking about making sure that you're not carrying your own anxieties but casting your anxieties on the Lord, that you're bringing everything with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to the Lord. And he says, well, the peace of God will guard your hearts. Same word that we have. Not just the same English word, same Greek word in the manuscripts, here and there. What's the point? God says, I'm using that word so that you can feel safe under my alert guard. There is nothing going on in your life that got past my guard. I'm overseeing it. 
if something's happened in your life you're not very happy about, something's happening in your life that is even a trial, it didn't happen when I was looking the other direction. I'm superintending. I promise you, I'm your protector. Being our protector doesn't mean we don't have any battles. It just means there's no battle that he isn't permitting, and he's, not, and he's also providing the grace to face it. He has a purpose and plan in it all. And he says, I want you to feel safe in your faith. I want you to feel safe in me. Not safe because of some of the false promises of our current culture that, oh, if you only follow Jesus, he'll build a hedge around you, you, won't, you know, you'll be rich, you won't be sick, and all that. Baloney misrepresents what the God, Word of God has to say to us. But that doesn't mean I can't feel safe. <laughs> I feel safe because he'll never leave me nor forsake me. Uh, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Uh, great hope in those words. And he says... I'm going to give you a time frame here. He said, I'm going to keep you safe. I'm going to guard you through faith for that salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. For the salvation ready to be revealed. God says, here's my time frame. Here's how long I've got the guard around you until the salvation is revealed. Now, he's not talking about the gospel of salvation. That was already revealed. All right? That came in the first coming. Jesus came, lived, died, rose again, made available for us a way to find forgiveness, reconciliation with God. I mean, that, that's already done. So what's he talking about in terms of salvation? He's talking about the, the capstone of it, all of that that's part of our inheritance, our future, and our hope, living with the Lord when he returns, we'll be with him, and all of that sort of thing. He says, listen, this is kept under my care. I'm going to give you protection until that salvation, the fullness of all of that, is revealed for you. Which means you can count on my protection until Jesus comes. You can count on my protection until the glorification of your bodies. You can count on my protection until the everlasting kingdom is implemented. Uh, you can count on my protection. I'm not going to withdraw it because of budgeting problems in Congress. You know, uh, where it's going to be there. Take it to the bank. It's going to be there. I was thinking of, of Philippians 1 6 that we sang together today. Remember, I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of the Lord Jesus. You know, that's what he's talking about here. Wonderful. We didn't, I didn't pick it out that way. In fact, I never hardly picked this stuff out. Gretchen does all of that. And she doesn't pick it out during the week saying, hey, what are you speaking on this week? It's way in advance some of this is put together. Not that we're never open to God giving us some direction, but nonetheless, it's picked out. And I looked at it and said, Lord, you knew back when, that, when today's music was first being put together that Philippians 1.6 was going to be one of the songs, and it turns out to be one of the points. You know, that's that... You, isn't it wonderful the way the Holy Spirit works that stuff out sometimes? Uh, God never tires of protecting me, and he never tires of protecting you. And he never stops. He keeps on. You say, well, I haven't really been living in a way that would sort of justify uh, that he would keep on protecting me all the time like that. Well, join the crowd. Most of us stumble, or not up to where all the things that we should be, but God says, yeah, I'm not doing this because you've earned it. I'm doing this because it's my commitment to you is you've turned to the gospel. I've made you my child, 
This comes with the territory. Keep watching with us. Because I'm guarding you doesn't mean I'm happy with how you're living today, but it does mean I'm guarding you. I'm guarding you. And I'll keep doing it until the salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. And he says, listen, there's just one sort of criteria here. Guarded through faith. The condition to be the beneficiary of the protective hand of God is our faith. To have decided at a point in time to take God at his word. Because remember the context of these verses. I mean, we're taking a long time to go through them. And in a way, you can miss the context for that reason. But remember the context of these opening verses is all about the gospel. All about being his chosen. All about what Christ did on the cross for us. And through the resurrection was confirmed by the Father. And he says, listen, are you having your faith in that? Your trust? Is that what you're resting in? Well, that's the condition for all of these wonderful benefits. All of these expressions of God's tender kindness. Your faith. Not that you deserve, but God says it's based on that. To have faith means we've decided to take God at his word related to the gospel. To have faith means that we've decided to trust that Jesus Christ is actually who he said he is and was, and that he died for us in order to pay the penalty of our sinful rebellion and separation from God or alienation. And such faith is reflected when we repent and believe. When repent means to, to recognize what wasn't right and acknowledge it. We say, Lord, whatever combination of things I was trusting in beforehand, I don't trust in those anymore. I realize the only reason that I can come to you isn't because of anything I've done, but what you son did for me. And now I see myself as I really am, hopeless and helpless and without hope. <laughs> in this world. And I, I turn to Jesus and I rest in what he did for me, Lord. And you know my heart. That's what I want to be true. I'm, that's the choice I'm making. I'm resting in his work. I'm obeying the gospel, as that phrase means, as we've looked at it together. I'm obeying the gospel. Repenting, believing. A step of obedience. So, Bottom line, do you have faith in Christ? I mean, that's, that, everything pivots on that, doesn't it? You know, do you have faith in Christ? If you do, I don't mean, let me stop here. I don't mean just that, that you believe Jesus actually was in the world someday, or that maybe he died on the cross. I don't mean that. I mean, have you obeyed the message that's all woven into that? That you were helpless and hopeless on your own? didn't matter what kind of religious things you did, what kind of moral things you did, and that instead you said, no, I'm, I can't trust in any of that. Uh, I, I'm going to rest in Jesus who died on the cross for my sins, and, and his resurrection from the dead confirmed that the Heavenly Father accepted that penalty. It was actually finished. And now I have forgiveness. Now I have hope. In fact, I've been adopted into his family. He's made me new at the deepest level. You know, that's what that means. Is that true? This isn't just merely informational. It is volitional. No one is, has these things we're talking about because informationally, they intellectually accept that that's true. They have it because they've bowed the knee, acknowledged the truth, 
and chose to receive Christ. Not purely intellectual. Uh, although there's that element. You can't do it without your mind. But it's more than your mind. So if you have that, then he says, if you have that, then you've got the protection. Nothing's going to happen that I'm not permitting. I'm going to watch over you, never leave you or forsake you. If you have that, then you've got the inheritance. In other words, all of this wonder kept in heaven for us. You've got it all if you have this. Last week, if you've got this, you have a living hope in the midst of a hopeless world. All of that is yours. And if you've got this, if you have your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a new birth. God's made you different. You say, well, I still see a war going on in me. Yeah, yeah, right. There's a, there's a, see, Romans 7 sense. there's a lot working the members of your bodies fighting against it, but you're still different on the inner side because at the deepest level now, as Romans 7 puts it, you, you delight in the law of God at the heart. None of you did that before you came to know Christ. doesn't mean at times your conscience didn't bother you. It just means the delight of your life wasn't God's truth and aligning with God. That's part of the new birth. He says, all these things are yours. Now, here's the question as a transition for today and prepare you for, as Lord willing, we continue in our examination in verse 6 and beyond. If God makes these wonderful promises to us, including the protection promise, why is it that we still encounter so much pain and disappointment in this life? Because... That happens for the believer. You had any pain lately? You had any disappointing things happening around you? Have you had tragedies that have occurred? I mean, and the answer is, well, yeah, 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 we all fit into that. We all know what that's about. So the question is, if all of these wonderful, tender mercies of God are shown up, how does that reconcile? How, how can that be the case? It's a great question, and a good question, and he turns to it, and he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been, that you've been grieved by various trials. Lord willing, as I say, we'll pick up on that, because God's word is so practical, isn't it? It's not just promising us things and speaking to those, but it also addresses what would pop into our mind when we're looking at it. And God says, well, I see all of this stuff you're talking about. seems pretty wonderful, but boy, this week hasn't been wonderful. And I'm facing, you know, some hard things. How does this all reconcile, Lord? God says, good question. We're going to look at it together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to be together on this day, to be with our brothers and sisters. And to sing your praises, to share our concerns, to listen to your word. We do want to cast our cares upon you and rest in your mighty hand. Enable us in this day and this week to do exactly that. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Good to have you here. Same time, same place, next week, Lord willing. Unless the Lord Jesus returns and then